0: You're listening to Get Mouthy, the podcast from the Head and Neck Cancer Foundation. I'm Michelle Vickers. Join me as I chat with some of the most interesting people I know who are all linked in one way or another in the fight against head and neck cancers, either personally or professionally. Hello. So my next guest is Dr. Anne Holdaway. Uh, she's a consultant dietitian and a member of the British Dietic Association, so thank you so much for joining us, and really appreciate your time. I know you're probably a very very busy woman, um, so thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks a lot for inviting me, Michelle. It's a real pleasure. Are you? Do, pleasure. you, are you um, do you work out of somewhere, or do you work? Do you like? Do you work out of a hospital or? a...
1: Yeah. So um, at the moment, my practice is based in the Bath Clinic, which is based just outside the beautiful city of Bath in the southwest of England. So, but nowadays with virtual consultations, um, it is actually a private practice and I can consult with patients nationwide Mm. and internationally as well. So things have really
0: changed throughout COVID for both good and bad reasons. Yeah. I think I sometimes think just as a patient, not a cancer patient, but as a patient myself, I've actually found it's improved with my practice. I can actually speak to people, uh, speak to doctors easier than I did before. Um, So I'm actually, I must admit, I'm quite enjoying the sort of Zoom nation that we've all become. Um, But anyway, like I say, thank you so much for your time. Um, And I know one of the things, you know, I was saying that one of the things that we get on our Facebook support group, which is an amazing support group for patients and uh, friends and family of patients one of the key things we get asked about probably most about that people are talking about is about food. Yeah. Um, And this is, you know, to do with enjoying food, um, uh, uh, how they can have it. So it's, it's actually brilliant that we've, we've got you on. So I just want to know how does, how can cancer treatments, and obviously there's a spectrum here of cancer treatment, but how can these treatments affect patients nutritionally Yeah, so there are many reasons why cancer
1: can affect dietary intake and the ability to eat and drink, which in turn influences food choices and well-being and what we refer to as dietitians as nutritional status, and that's the nutrition you've got on board and in stores in your body. And if we think specifically about head and neck cancers, um, there may be a tumour in the mouth, in the throat or the neck that's actually causing a physical obstruction So an individual may not be able to eat solid foods in particular and drink in the way they're used to. Mm. Um, Secondly, what we know um, is that the tumor itself in say head and neck cancers um, releases substances that can enter the blood and affect taste and appetite. And it can also change the way in which the body handles the nutrients. Mm. And uh, one Uh, sort of observation we know from this uh, and that individuals talk about is this muscle wasting. They talk about Mm. losing muscle off their arms and their legs, even when they feel they're eating okay or getting enough nutrition. And that's due to these sort of chemical changes in the body from the tumor producing certain substances. And many of our patients will present with weight loss and muscle wasting. And that's often the red flag to the GP that Mm. um, further investigations are needed because the suspicion may be that it's associated with cancer. Mm. And um, when we look at the treatments, so that's the cancer itself, when we go on to look at the treatments offered, it might be radiotherapy, chemotherapy, surgery, or more more recently, immunotherapy. And all of these different treatments can affect both nutritional requirements, so the nutrients the body needs, as well as interfering with the ability to eat and drink. Just to give some examples of issues that can arise um, in head and neck cancer patients, Uh, they might experience a sore mouth and throat caused by ulcers and a condition known as mucositis. Then things like surgery, chemotherapy and radiotherapy may all interfere with the ability to chew and swallow food. And as dieticians, I think it's really important that we work with individuals to create practical advice to help those individuals yeah. overcome the problems affecting their ability to eat and drink and i think this is no you know so true for patients with head and neck cancer yeah because they you know it's very visible to them exactly. the impact on their every day yeah. and and i think certainly from the research that i did uh, which was really exploring the patient experience you know we've got to remember as healthcare professionals and particularly as dietitians that uh, nutrition isn't just about you know or eating and drinking isn't just about nutrients because totally. food i think you touched upon this food means many things to us all yeah you know, we we associate food and having cake with celebrations, with social interactions, family routines. So when a person's ability to eat and drink is, is disrupted, you can see how it has such a profound impact on their everyday experience. And, and so, you know, my aim is always to try and help both the individual affected by the cancer and their families to deal with those issues yeah. and find practical ways that work with them to overcome those issues where possible.
0: Because so many of our patients, in fact, on a previous podcast, we talked to one of our friends, Darren, and he's got a blastoma, And he, he said, I think he used the word slurp. I have to slurp my food.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And um, he is really impacted by that I know when I've chatted to him previously he's talked about so he he um lives is living back with his parents again now and he sort of said they're the only people he feels comfortable eating in front of so I'm sort of really aware that apart from the tasting food and also the the chemical Mm. sort of reaction which I hadn't I totally hadn't done it's actually the enjoyment of food and the like as you say there's sort of sharing of times with people people who may have gone out before for a drink or you know with friends or whatever and just don't feel that they're able to do that anymore because it's embarrassing um but you know and they don't want to do it so it's just a a, such a huge impact that I I quite often wonder um that are people sort of just left to deal with that and and one of the questions I've got for you it is um actually just it's just a really quick question and it's about when people are diagnosed when someone has been to see their um oncologist or whatever and they've been diagnosed ha- do they automatically get to see a dietitian? does that all happen automatically no it doesn't and, you know often
1: people will have a specialist nurse who's responsible for their you know addressing their holistic needs uh, mm. as a whole being you know that everything from their you know, sort of their social circumstances work, going, talking them through the treatment that they're going to be offered. Um, And in an ideal world, I think it'd be great if every patient was automatically assigned to a dietitian Mm. who has expertise in this area, particularly in cancer and head and neck cancer. Um, but sadly, that's not always the case. Or if there is a dietitian, they may be waiting a little time yeah. to actually see that dietitian. Um, and it's what they do in the meantime. And, and that was partly the drive between some of the work that myself, uh, along with Hillary Frank- Franklin and uh donald as as what we've done is actually tried to develop resources for patients yeah so that if there's any delay to them seeing a dietician that those resources are there for healthcare professionals yeah as well as patients and carers to access fantastic we'll
0: we'll come back to um the uh resources that we're going to have available um but um just to sort of move on slightly um you talk a lot about prehabilitation for cancer patients and I'll be honest with you until I spoke to you Anne, I had never ye- heard that phrase and I've been in this business for a little while now, but I'd never mm. ever heard of that phrase prehabilitation, but I have to say, I love it. One of my friends who is going through cancer treatment herself at the moment, she's had quite a bit of this and I only know she said quite a bit of this because after I spoke to you, I was like, Oh, that's obviously all part of mm. how they're getting her body ready for her cancer treatment journey. So can you just tell us a little bit more about what does that actually mean? Yeah, so if you think about cancer historically, we've looked at
1: supporting patients during their treatment and beyond treatment and and into survivorship. And prehabilitation has really taken off in the last couple of years because we know that the better nourished and the more physically fit a person is when they start treatment, the more likely they're going to get through their treatment. Um so really, prehabilitation has been a term that's been coined worldwide, but has been adopted by Macmillan in the last few years and really promoted in, in cancer care. And it's it's it comes down to making sure that individuals are ready and in, and in as good a physical and psychological condition as possible before starting their cancer treatment. And this is about using the time effectively from the point of diagnosis to when they start the treatment to actually take care of them, to actually uh, see are there any eating and drinking difficulties that we need to support them with so mm. they can be better nourished when they start treatment, encouraging physical activity. And that might be, you know, from walking around the block and then local neighbourhood to carrying on with a, a couple of miles that they they run that's normal for them. So it's about mm. really individualising the support uh, and and preparing them for treatment because mm. we know that then impacts on the outcomes further down the line yeah that they're going to respond
0: better to treatment hopefully I sort of think this sort of approach though to me I think one of the massive benefits from it is that it feels like it seems like what you're saying is that um the patient sort of it, that this is not happening to them, that they're happening to it, that they're sort of taking an active part in the whole journey, right from of when they immediately get diagnosed through to it. Whereas I think previously it's just kind of been, you know, what tell me what's hap- going to happen to me, what am I going to have done. Whereas yeah. what you're talking about is much more um, sort of getting the patient involved in preparing themselves for what is going to happen. Um, yeah and that just does sound like such a much better way yeah we want this. patients to be involved right from the
1: start according to what's comfortable for them mm. really about engaging with them and saying that we've got this support this is what you can do to help yourself
0: so yeah
1: hopefully you know get get through what is sometimes quite har- harrowing treatment yeah. for them
0: yeah so something we often see as well um, with patients is um losing weight um during mm. treatments um, and I guess one of the things I suppose is, is what if that person was big beforehand? Like, does it matter that they're losing weight? Um, cause I think people might think, well, I was, oh God, one of the benefits is that I've lost a bit of weight, you know, while mm. I'm having this, or mm. is it something to worry about?
1: Yeah, it's some, I would say it's definitely something to watch out for. We know when it comes to cancer treatments that, you know, if we can eat a nourishing diet containing all the essential nutrients we need, like protein, for example, uh, and keep our weight up or rather avoid unintentional weight loss, then mm. you're going to more likely tolerate treatment. The problem is when you start losing weight quickly and unintentionally, so it's unplanned, and that's because you may be, Uh, struggling to eat a balanced diet and specific foods, um, then then we'd be concerned because it's likely that the individual won't not only be eating enough calories to keep mm. their weight up but they may not be eating enough of the essential nutrients like protein and vitamins and minerals which are really important to fuel our immune system and help with function and and help deal with the treatments and many patients will talk about you know fatigue during their treatment and mm. um, and you know if you're if you're undernourished if you've been losing a lot of weight quickly in an unplanned way because your food. Uh, intake is limited, then that will contribute to things like fatigue and anemia developing over time, Mm. as well as this muscle weakness, you know, the muscle loss goes hand in hand with muscle weakness. So what my message to people would be, you know, keep an eye on your weight, um, talk to a healthcare professional about maybe the rate of weight loss. And we know in busy clinics, their weight might be recorded week after week when they're going in for treatment, and then nobody acts on it. I've seen patients lose you know pound after pound after pound week on week and um you know nobody's actually noticed because they are overweight but that being overweight belies the fact that they're becoming undernourished effectively and and weaker with the treatment Mm -hmm. so i would say keep an eye on your weight if you're losing more than one to two pounds a week week after week alert your healthcare team to it and particularly if that's going hand in hand with the you being unable to eat certain food groups particularly things like protein you know we we know with head and neck cancer patients they may have problems chewing and swallowing so the foods that they may have difficulty with are things like meat and poultry which Mm. provide valuable protein yeah and so it might be the need to switch and think about other types of protein Protein, like pulses and beans and Mm. dairy foods instead yeah so yeah weight can be a good indicator of, of nutritional status and and whether you're managing enough food Um, but also be aware of of other symptoms that we know they have that we we can support them with like sore mouth and um uh, you know any ulceration mucositis which is this Mm. inflammation in the mouth and the throat we can actually give dietary advice to deal with that as well that's
0: that's great so just lastly we touched on this um briefly sort of at the beginning but um i was talking about you know do do people automatically see a dietitian and and you were saying that there is a bit of Um, there can be a bit of a weight. So we know there's a lack of dietitians in the UK. So any quick tips for us in the meantime? Um, Yeah, so the majority of people will struggle with
1: with their appetite and potentially with weight loss. So in in individuals with a poor appetite, we talk about making every mouthful count. So Mm -hmm. making food as nutritious as possible. So forget about the low calorie you know, fat free versions go for what is normal food, you know, Mm. you know, sort of ordinary yogurts, not fat free. Um, Think about um, uh, having nourishing drinks between meals. So if appetite's poor, if they're struggling to consume enough, then having nourishing drinks, uh, you know, things like your your lattes, your your coffee lattes, um, things like smoothies, and you can add milk powder to things. So you can add skim milk powder into into a milky drink or a smoothie to make it even more nourishing. Uh, Having things like milkshakes um, will all add extra nutrition, protein, calories, and vitamins, uh, as well as giving you fluid and keeping somebody hydrated. So there's sort of some quick wins, really, in in trying to take a more nourishing diet, um, if you're avoiding certain food groups then seek help on that, because you might be missing out on some valuable nutrients. And then if you've got a sore dry mouth, um, then it might be a case of adding sauces you know, having things in a white sauce or a cheese sauce um, nothing too acidic, probably for head and neck cancer patients, Mm. they'll get a sore mouth. So acidic foods can sometimes be a problem. So watch out for things like, um, you know, the citrus fruit juices, like orange juice, but then you can switch to alternatives, you know, things like berries aren't as acidic and mango and banana are suitable, less acidic fruits. So Mm. there are ways, ways around it. Um, and then with some patients, they, they will actually have a gastrostomy tube, so a tube um, placed through the ab- abdomen into the stomach to provide either supplementary nutrition using a liquid, liquid food uh, to support them through treatment and beyond, or they might use that as a, as a top up. To, to their intake yeah. and there are also uh special drinks available on prescription that are nutritionally balanced they have protein and vitamins and minerals in, specially formulated to help people who are really struggling with eating and drinking during treatment and beyond and even before treatment as well mm. and they're available on prescription through your local GP
0: so I know you've been you have been working um with Hillary and uh, at a, other um clinicians um, on some resources which we, we've shared with us. Just tell us a little bit more about that and how they can, people can get access to them.
1: Yeah, so I think what we recognise, as you mentioned, Michelle, we know that sometimes there is a, a bit of a struggle to access a dietitian in a timely manner. Um, certainly from surveys that have been done on a national basis and across Europe with patients have identified the difficulty in people getting timely dietary advice uh, during cancer treatment. So we developed a sort of materials and guidance for healthcare professionals and patients and carers a few years ago on trying to prevent uh, malnutrition, which is this undernutrition uh, in many clinical conditions. Uh, and there was really a special call for more information on cancer. So we actually put some time and effort into developing some resources uh, and a step-by-step guide for healthcare professionals but within those resources, there are top tips for patients and carers Fantastic. that they can access free of charge through the Malnutrition Pathway website. And I believe you've got a link from your own website to the resources. But there's lots of top tips there about dealing with a dry mouth, sore mouth, uh, you know, swallowing difficulties. Uh, and we hope that these just provide that first line advice, mm. uh, particularly if somebody's waiting to see like a specialist dietitian they can do things for themselves in the meantime and that might be enough for some to just make sure that they remain well nourished through their treatment and beyond
0: That's absolutely fantastic, Anne. Thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. And Anne mentioned there um, about the resources that are, in fact, available on our website. So I urge you to go to that, which is www.hncf.org.uk, where you'll be able to download um, all of Anne's information. Um, Thanks very much. Thank you, Michelle. So my next guest is Dr. Philippe Katz, who is a friend of ours and a pathologist based in France, who specializes in salivary glands and is actually a really keen chef. And we've worked with Philippe before to create some recipe videos specifically for head and neck cancer patients. So he's an old friend to us um, at HNCF. So thank you, Philippe. And thanks for coming on. We really appreciate you, you coming on.
2: Uh, thank you Michelle. I, I'm very happy to to talk with you all right and uh, I hope we we can explain something all right yes,
0: I think so. I think you're gonna you're gonna be very useful for us for this sort of conversation. So just for the listeners, what's your role and what kind of patients do you see the most?
2: okay uh, I'll start I'm Okay, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm quite old now and all my patients, yes, uh, uh, I'm, I'm the first one to start in France uh, to do uh, uh, ENT x-rays. And I'll start with ENT x-rays for the cancer, especially for the cancer of the salivary gland. So my patients are coming to see me for examination, x-rays, ultrasound, Scanner and MR. And that was the, the beginning of my, uh, my job. And during all my life, it's now 40, uh, 43 years, I specialized in the salivary gland cancer. And I have many, many patients now coming here. Uh, to see me, just only for the examination and the diagnostic. I'm not doing treatment. I'm not surgeon, yeah. all right. And just only the uh, the uh, the diagnostic. Yeah. That 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 is the most uh, of my uh, work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, can you just explain to us why it is so difficult for these specific patients? why is food such a dilemma for them why is eating so difficult and what causes those difficulties
2: uh, the uh, the uh, the problem is uh, with the uh, head and neck cancer especially for salivary gland or throat or nose or uh, every part of the head and neck cancer is All the patients receive normally surgery, then after radiotherapy and after chemotherapy. For someone, they have just only radiotherapy or someone just only uh, chemotherapy or someone just surgery. But the problem is when you have a radiotherapy, even if the the focalization now is uh, very small, that destroy your salivary glands. And if you destroy your salivary gland, you will not have saliva. If you not have saliva, uh, the life is absolutely impossible. That means that you cannot speak uh, because without saliva you have no sound coming from uh, the uh, vocal cord. Mm, Uh, Yeah, you cannot speak. So the mouth is uh, quite burning. Uh, the, the mucosa is red inside. Uh, your tongue is not working very well and you cannot eat something because you have no saliva. So the, 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 if you eat something, it stay inside your mouth. Mm. It's burn you and it's not possible to uh, swallow anything. So the problem is uh, the patient have they, they lost the weight? And you know, if you lose your weight uh, more than uh, 40%, you die. Mm, gosh. But, yeah, the problem is in this one. So, since now about more than 25 years, I start to take the patient and I start to learn how to cook and how to eat because they cannot eat like us uh, they cannot eat bread or, or or meat or vegetable like we eat mm. so i transform everything in uh, in liquid but they eat normally but in liquid and that's the, that is the problem the problem mm. is without saliva you cannot live. Mm.
0: and so what are the ways Around that, can patients taste without saliva? Can they? T- do they get the same sensation of taste?
2: No, you have any any sensation of taste without saliva. Uh, t- your mouth is burning, so your tongue is burning, so you cannot taste anything. Yeah. The only thing that that we 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 develop now since uh, many years is. Uh, by the uh, smell, you can smell. And if your smell is, is not, uh, uh, how do you say, if your smell is, is working, even with the uh, radiotherapy, normally your smell is, is, uh, is working. So if your smell is working, the radiation is you smell what you eat And with your memory, you can remember Ah. the taste. So if you have no taste, you smell, and after uh, six months or eight months or a year, your memories say that you are eating this or that or that. Especially for the, uh, uh, we use uh, spice, uh, not spicy, okay? Uh, some uh, cinnamon or something yeah. like that. You smell cinnamon, you eat cinnamon, but your taste is, is negative, all right? Yeah. But with the smell, you know that you are eating. Yeah, cinnamon, your memory of right? it. Yeah. Okay. That's especially for cinnamon or onions or, yeah. or garlic or something. You smell before, you eat after.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. And
2: that's why your your memories it's coming back and you think that you taste.
0: Ah, wow. Okay. So before we even, so I should say we did some, um, we've done some fantastic recipes um, with Philippe that we've got on our website. We'll come back to that. But before you started doing those things together, you'd been doing this, hadn't you? You'd already been making sort of thinking up recipes for patients. So how did that come about? because obviously you're treating them, but then how did this come about that you started making recipes?
2: Oh, it's a long story. Uh, it's a re- really long story. But uh, since I was a, a resident in ENT, I was looking for for the, uh, the food of the patient. Food, food patient is something for me very interesting. And at the beginning, long time ago in uh, about 90, 70, uh, free, uh when I was a young resident I used to uh, to look what the patient were eating right and we had in uh, in uh, all the general hospital, we have our own kitchen That mean we have chief we have assistant uh, we have department for uh, for the ENT, uh, for uh, traumatology, for the uh, blood development. And we have kitchen for that. A lot of kitchen we had on a general hospital. And one day, uh, because the uh, it cost a lot of money and in, uh, during the year of 1980, uh, everything changed and we destroyed our kitchen in a general hospital, and we put uh, cooking coming from outside. Uh, freezes. Yeah. and we have trolley and we, we just uh, eat the food right and give yeah. the food coming from outside, but coming mm-hmm. from outside. That food was coming from the same restaurant like the uh, motorway restaurant. You know that big mm-hmm. yeah. right? It yeah. was exactly that. And it was absolutely awful. Yeah. And and with my uh, chief department, with my boss, we, we told the uh, director to change and to come back. And they said, no, it costs too much money. Now we have stopped and they have to eat that, that food. And we said, no, if you are a patient, you cannot yeah. eat what? What you are giving now, yeah. okay, it's cheaper, but it's too cheaper, and it's not good for the uh, for it's the patient. True. Because yeah. when you yeah. are a patient, what is interesting uh, when you are in in uh, in your yeah. bed is is what you have to eat yeah. uh, on on the uh, on the lunch or during the dinner. Yeah. This is very important for the patient, yeah. and. They 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 were given and they continue to give uh, a very bad food. So mm-hmm. I say, okay, I have to create a, something, but it was not working. Nobody wants uh, to uh, to take the uh, the recipes. Uh, uh, nobody wants to say, okay, comfort of life patient is very mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, all the surgeons say, okay, I'm treated. Uh, the patient is all right, so after, it's not my job, Done. right? So I say, okay, it's not your job, but you have to do something. Uh, you have to say to the patient that they, they will be uh, uh, without saliva, because uh, the, uh, the uh, radiotherapist or the uh, surgeon never say, uh, you will be like that. So the patient... Uh, was uh, uh, treated and they received radiotherapy, and they are they they went home like this, mm. and they say, "Okay, uh, I cannot eat, I cannot speak," and they they told me an- anything before. Mm. So I say I have to develop a program, and I have to make the education of the patient before. Yeah. They, they were treated, yeah. and that was not possible. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. So I, I tried to make lecture about uh, life uh, comfort of life to patient, and wow. it was not accepted anywhere. Wow! But it, uh, in on the year of two two thousand ten, it starts in uh, in uh, USA. During a meeting of the uh, ENT Congress, I had a lecture of this, and some surgeons say, "You're right. Yeah. We have to do something," and we start like that. And yeah. after, we start with a mark to do recipes, and I give recipes. But I start like this, yeah. and I'm alone to say the patient must be, must have a comfort of life, yeah. like. You, me, or a normal person.
0: It's funny because um, when I was earlier on, um, when I was talking to Anne, we were talking about how important food is, you know, how important it is for your, how sharing it with your family, how it uplifts you, you know, apart from the physical aspect of what you get out of food, like your proteins and your vitamins and all of that, is actually the process of eating food, and sharing food and how for a lot of um, head and neck cancer patients that's taken away from them, you know, they don't want to eat in public because of how things, you know, may happen and it's and but how important it is for us. And I I was saying um, that on our, uh, we have a really fantastic Facebook support group, and it's for patients and, um, and friends uh, uh, and family of patients. And one of the hot topics there is food. It, it comes up all the time. It's about food. How can I enjoy food again? What can I eat? How do I join in with Christmas dinner, you know, or, yeah. or celebrations? Um, so it's fantastic that you're doing this. And really, you did it because they outsourced your food, the good food you were having before they outsourced to a an, another company. And you said, we can't have this for, for our patients. That's actually fantastic. So... I'm going to end there and I say thank you so much and thank you, thank you, thank you for the work that you're doing because you've influenced us in the, the work that we do around, uh, you know, this has been quite a big new area for us about looking into food and and what Anne's called prehabilitation of patients, you know, doing it before they have their, before they actually undergo any surgery that to sort of get an understanding of what's going on. So thank you very much, Philippe, for joining us. Um, it's been absolutely lovely, as always, to speak to you, but lovely to see you in person, live, and speak to you as uh, well at the same time.
2: Thank you, Michelle. because uh, uh, for me, it's, uh, it's something fantastic that yeah. you understand what we have to do for the patient. Mm. And this is very important. It's the most important, is what we can do for the patient. And we just only for the comfort of life. Because I think that if you want to uh, treat some, some, some cancer, it's, it's quite very easy. But after you, you leave the patient outside the hospital and they don't know how to do it. And you are understanding what we have now to do yeah. for, for that, that patient yeah. and, and, the, and the family, the family patient. Yes. And, it, and it's something fantastic for me so thank oh, you very much
0: you're and most welcome thank you Philippe so I'm going to say here that Philippe's recipes um which are absolutely fantastic are actually all on our website at hncf.org.uk so I'd ask you to please please if you're interested they're actually quite funny as well if you like Keith Floyd <laughs> you'll like watching Philippe and and um, our trusty Mark McGurk um, cooking together so please do have a look um and thank you thank you for information support and advice including how to check your own mouth look up hncf.org.uk or follow us on socials search hncf